0: We have come to the end of Epiphany, that season between Christmas and Lent, where we focus on the revelation of Jesus as the light of the world and what it means to be a follower of that light. Way back at the end of December, Epiphany began with a star shining brightly in the night sky, an ordinary star but shining with an extraordinary brilliance and its significance seen and understood at first only by three foreigners, academic immigrants, professors to Judea and Jerusalem from the Far East, bringing with them documents and papers to prove what they had witnessed was a world-changing and paradigm-shifting event. We remember that these seekers first went to King Herod and the powers that be in Jerusalem. But those in the centers of power did not understand the revelation and wisdom of immigrants, and so they were afraid, and began making policies sprung from fear of a new thing that brought great grief and suffering to the people. Then the seekers went to the parents of the light To Mary and Joseph, and presented their gifts, strange as they were for a toddler, in worship. And Mary treasured and pondered all these things in her heart, even as she and Joseph continued to faithfully raise their son, just as the angel had told them to. Starlight and comprehension, transfiguration and commission. These are the bookends to the season of Revelation that doesn't stop, but rather charts a new course in a new season through the Lenten wilderness, through the small towns and city centers with Jesus. It pauses for a while on a hill outside Jerusalem, and then it continues on as a stone is rolled away. But Transfiguration Sunday is the Sunday, the day when we get to take a mountaintop view of this story. The story of Jesus and the story of our lives. It's a day to be amazed and to wonder at the places we find ourselves when we decide to follow Jesus. I was imagining this, what it could have been like for Peter, James, and John. Remember, they were fishing with their fathers, doing the family business until one day Jesus walked up and said, come on, and they went. They found themselves in synagogues with unclean spirits in the homes of feverish old ladies and mother-in-laws. They found themselves in the middle of nowhere with thousands of people around them and hardly any food except for a few scraps of bread and fish. And now... They've gone on a hiking trip with Jesus and are at the top of a mountain, and Jesus ignores them. He talks to the ghostly figures of Moses and Elijah the whole time, letting them just be scared, confused disciples all by themselves, saying things they have no idea what they mean. I don't know about you, but sometimes that feels about right (laughs) for what the description of life with Jesus feels like. We don't always know where we're going to end up. We say things with maybe a little more wisdom in the words, but we're not in charge of that wisdom. And maybe that's why Jesus chose these three to accompany him up the mountain. Not to teach them something special and exclusive that none of the other nine poor guys who were never invited or just didn't get the memo to go up They were still in the valley. But to give these three an opportunity to look at how far they had come in this new vocation of fishing for people, Jesus takes them on a silent retreat of sorts to help these three future church leaders understand what was coming through a felt-sense experience of witnessing Jesus becoming really real, radiating divinity from every pore in his body. That's when your words fail, or you start saying things that you don't know what you're saying. And the silence that commands simply listen to Jesus, to learn what Jesus is about by listening, by watching, and participating. I think these three and the rest of them would need this memory and the story of this powerful experience to draw from in the days, weeks, and years ahead. For we know how the story goes. But the mountain represents the place for gaining perspective on where God has been at work in the past and to be on the lookout for where the Holy Spirit is leading Into the future. So I think it's appropriate that for us, Transfiguration Sunday lines up with our annual meeting Sunday, the day when we climb up our own figurative mountain as a church and take stock of where we've been with God in the past year, where we've been in ministry, what we've been up to together, and also to take a look ahead at where the Spirit is calling us forward in authentic relationship and community. And so from this story, because it's a story that can kind of preach itself, I simply will lift up a few parallels as we get our minds set on Jesus, following him more nearly every day, as we meet together over good food, and plan and dream for our year ahead. So from this story, I first noticed that just as Jesus brought a small group with him on this adventure, we have our own small groups of adventurers in our Latin study groups, each exploring a different facet of what it means to be faithful to the Jesus way, each group kind of retreating with a small core group and a commitment to deepen faith and relationships over the next 40 days. And I wonder, I wonder what insights we will have discovered and what questions we'll still have to share with one another after Easter. And second from this text, I think even if you think it sounds silly or it just doesn't come out the way you intend it to, during Lent... Let's practice with one another, being willing to speak our deepest truth and desires, because it may just be your speaking aloud what you need that helps another one come alive. Our aliveness is mutual. We need each other to fully realize what it means to be joyful and fully living the way of Jesus. And third, the story reminds us about the foundational stories and people who have kept us connected in the larger family of faith. Maybe they're Providence folks. Maybe they're the medieval mystics or contemporary scientists, scholars, or other surprising people who reveal to you more about the way ahead. The text shows us how to practice openness to hearing God speak and set us each in right relationship with Jesus and to each other. Because remember, we are all beloved children exhorted to listen to God's beloved Son. We'll keep questioning, discerning, and pondering what it means to take seriously a life of faith. And to recognize that some things just won't make sense until time rolls on and events in the future come to pass. And then finally, we were reminded we cannot just stay on the mountaintop. As beautiful and wonderful as they are, or as terrifying as they sometimes can be, they're not where life is lived. Life is lived on the slopes and in the valleys most of the time. And we have mountains to give us a clearer intention and focus, even for a little while, on what it is we are being called to do. We hear we are commissioned to listen, to wrestle with questions we want to ask Jesus and sometimes don't know how. But most of all, to practice becoming really real with each other. On Ash Wednesday, this Wednesday, we'll mark the beginning of this journey together and receive together the sign of that commissioning, the sign of ashes on our forehead. It's not a mark of our depravity or sinfulness, but they are a reality check. For ourselves and for those who see the marks that we are mortal. And what a wonderful thing that is. That this life, for all its joys and complications, it will one day come to an end. And we enter into a larger sense of life with God. We are dust and to dust we shall return. And we are loved the whole journey through these are the ashes that remind us to pause and remember our priorities so that in all we say and do, we are ready to give accounts of the hope that is in us. The ashes prepare us for this time of renewal and refining. We bear the evidence of what's made it through the fire. But for today, Let us recognize and embrace this day, our day of new beginnings, a time to remember and move forward, a time to believe that what love is bringing is from our God, who makes all things new. Amen.